0: facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
1: A fantastic Friday to you. Welcome to the program. You know, I got a text today from the sentient one, Nick Sentevich, who produces, of course, the Holy Mass here on Relevant Radio every day, and also the inner life with Patrick Conley and Father Simon Says. And Nick Sentevich uh, texted me today, and he said, Hey, have you heard the news? Tim Keller passed away today. And I was like, no. It was inevitable. He had had terminal cancer, pancreatic cancer, and he'd had it for about three years. And the hospice couldn't couldn't really do anything more for him. So he was sent home uh, for his last moments. Who was Tim Keller and why should it matter to you and to me? Nick's going to join me in just a moment to talk about this a little bit. Uh, that's very poignant. And you can call the number right now, the, the listener line for The Kale Clark Show, if you want to get in on the conversation. 888 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. The email address. Love to hear from you. Uh, many of you have been sending me your show ideas, uh, stuff we could talk about on the program. Love to hear from you and what you think of the program. You can email me at Kale, C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com and follow me on Twitter as well at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with N an E. And like I said, I'm joined right now by Nick Sentovich. Nick, thank you for uh, sticking around late today and uh, taking the time to chat with me.
2: Cale, it's my pleasure to be talking with you today. Even though it's kind of a bummer that we're mourning the loss of Tim Keller, nonetheless, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk about um, such an amazing amazing witness to the faith.
1: No, oh, he certainly is, and uh, you and I are both kind of fans of Tim's. And, and uh, I was pleased to find out that you were uh, big into his writings as well and and his his recorded talks. And for those of you who don't know who Tim Keller was. He was uh, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He said, well, hang on here. This guy's not Catholic. Why are you talking about him? Well, first of all, all truth is God's truth, and we can learn an awful lot from our separated brethren, from our evangelical friends, from our uh, friends who are not Catholics but are believers in Jesus Christ. Because sometimes, And I'll tell you what, I, this happened to me personally because, as you know, I spent uh, many years i spent a decade outside of the catholic church i'm a revert and during that time i was in pastoral ministry and the stuff that a lot of the stuff that i learned a lot of the skills that i use on the faith explain program and things i learned that i talked about that i talked about on this show i learned um through evangelicals like tim keller and so now that he uh, has passed into the afterlife i you know the truth has been fully revealed to him and uh how much he understood about catholicism i have no idea but What's interesting about this guy is that you wouldn't think that he would be successful reaching the people that he reached. In 1989, he started Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City in Manhattan. And today, they have more than 5,000 attendees on Sunday. And most of the people that come there, and the people that he really was able to grab their attention, were secular New Yorkers in Manhattan, young people, some of them who worked in the financial district, some of them who are just you know agnostic or or the nuns the quote unquote nuns n o n e s who really weren't necessarily into religion but he was able to draw them in and let me just ask you this nick what what was it about tim keller that kind of got you or how did you find out about him sure that's
2: a great question i had a friend reach out to me many years ago and just suggested tim keller to me as somebody to listen to and to read and so like uh, many millennials, I fired up the internet machine and I, I downloaded <laughs> some of his sermons that um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church had put out. And the sermons were about 40 minutes in length. And so <laughs> at the time, I had long drives to different places that I was going. And so I, I, I put them on it and listened to them in the car. And I was captivated by his deep love and command of scripture. <laughs> he was incredibly Ela, excuse me he's incredibly eloquent um he had a certain kind of directness about the faith but also he presented the faith in such a simple and tangible way that was easy to grasp even though he was bringing complex biblical history and biblical themes hmm. it, it was something that was just so um easily digestible for me and and i was just captivated by his sermons and I, i'm guessing most of us at some point in our life have have heard someone or met someone that wanted that, that made you want to be a better Christian and and Tim for me was one of those people where I, mm-hmm. I would listen to his sermons and be drawn in and captivated by them and um, you know whether you know we've met someone that was a priest or a preacher or mm-hmm. a sister or, or a fellow Christian that, that called us onto something greater and I always got that sense every Mm -hmm. time I listened to Tim Keller or or read something that he wrote. And
1: so I was just drawn in by what an incredible preacher he really was. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to The Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio talking with Relevant Radio producer, Nick Sentevich about uh, the passing of Timothy Keller who died today, this morning at the age of 72 after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. And uh, his family actually posted on the Tim Keller Twitter account about him and and by the way again why are we talking about this guy he's almost like a modern i don't want to i don't know if this is the maybe this is not the right person to compare him to but but he's almost like a modern day cs lewis in that you know just as catholics can read cs lewis and 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 get a lot of things that we can grab from him that we, that we can use in our faith journey mere christianity type stuff uh tim keller was was really the same in a, in a lot of ways and here's what his son michael posted uh earlier today Timothy J. Keller, husband, father, grandfather, mentor, friend, pastor, and scholar, died this morning at home. Dad waited until he was alone with Mom. She kissed him on the forehead, and he breathed his last breath. We take comfort in some of his last words. He said, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. See you soon, Dad. So he, he was very, you know, and if you, as you read through the account, um he very much was looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ face to face. And and that's really what his life was all about. You mentioned his preaching. He actually wrote a book on preaching and I tell you, Nick, I want to give this book to some of my priest friends and, you know, (laughs) because we we need to do a better job of this in in the Catholic church. And, and I I just think he was right on about some of the, the stuff he talks about there.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He, you know, I think sometimes we underestimate the power of really, really good preaching. And a lot of times we throw out the quotation from St. Francis, you know, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. And, you know, I, I think that's been misappropriated to St. Yeah. Francis, or I'm not going to get into that controversy. But yeah, the sure. point is sometimes it's really necessary to preach well. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and Christ himself preached. And, and somebody that preaches well and preaches uh, in a compelling way has a real power to draw people to Christ and to get them interested in the gospel. And I think that's one thing that Tim Keller did really well is, you know, I'm sure no matter who you were, whether you're secular, whether you were a seeker, whether you were a believer, you can't help but listen to one of his sermons and be interested in the concepts of Christianity, to be interested Mm. in the gospel and the, and the themes that the Bible has. I think a lot of times, you know, like you were saying, he's, he's, preaching in New York City and it's a very urban and secular area. Um, and so a, a lot of people probably you know didn't know the gospel and probably had preconceived notions that Christianity mm. isn't reasonable, it's mm-hmm. you know not worth my time but you really can't listen to Tim Keller and come away thinking, wow, there's something, interesting and reasonable about Christianity. Like that, that's always what I mm. came away with. It was like, I want to know the Bible more because I listened to this person. I, I want to take my faith more seriously because I listened to one of his sermons. And I think that's one of the powers of great preaching is it draws people into God's truth and, and, and it challenges them to want to go deeper when they leave church or when they leave that encounter.
1: And uh, Nick, Nick I, th- I think you're so right. And in fact, in his book on preaching, that's exactly what he said. He asked the question, what is good preaching? And he said it's, quote, proclaiming the testimony of God, as St. Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It's preaching biblically, engaging with the text, preaching the word and not your own opinion. When we preach the scriptures, we are speaking the very words of God. And I think I think sometimes... In the Catholic Church, there's not enough of an emphasis on biblical preaching, on preaching the text, and yeah, we got to do feast days and things like that too, and great theological themes. But, but man, when you're preaching the scriptures, that that it's it's the the word of God that really transforms people's hearts, and that's why on the on the Faith Explained show, I, I focus so much on, on scripture, and. The other thing he says here, and by the way, you might be listening to this saying, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a, I'm not a bishop, I'm not a priest, I'm not a deacon, I don't, I don't preach officially for the church, why should I care about this? Well, we are all preachers of the gospel because we all have to evangelize. We all have to, in our own context, reach the people around us that God has placed in, in our path. And, and this is what, another thing he said in the book, Nick, was that when we preach, we have not one but two responsibilities. Number one, our responsibility is to the truth to the truth of God and secondly to the people to this particular group of people that that I'm talking to and and that's something mm-hmm. that we can all take out of this and, and and just just one more little thing that he said and just kind of in the in the prologue to this this book on on preaching mm-hmm. uh, and that, I think this is partially why he was so effective in in reaching people uh, he had what this transparency and he said he said this uh, it means to preach with the awe and wonder at the greatness of what we have in Christ to exhibit an uncontrived transparency mm-hmm. evidence of a heart that is being mended by the very truth you are presenting it entails a kind of poise and authority rather than an insecure desire to please or perform so your love your joy your peace and your wisdom must be evident as you speak you should be something like a clear glass through which people can see a gospel changed soul in such a way that they want it too, and they get a sense of God's presence as well. End of quote. So I feel like he was that transparent glass that, and that's par- partially why he was so successful. I think, Nick. I don't know. Well, it's funny that you mentioned you know that quotation
2: and then St. Paul as well, because one quotation that had come to mind that I wrote down that made me think of Tim Keller was one of my favorite. Um, passages in, at the beginning of Romans when, when Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation mm. of everyone who believes. And I think that he was not ashamed of the gospel and recognized the power and the grace that's present in the gospel and, and proclaimed it um, to people that you wouldn't always think <laughs> um, would be preached to, right? Like he was mm. invited um, a few times to Google and you can go on YouTube. Ah. And watch mm-hmm. yeah, um, some point. of his talks when he was invited to Google. He has a talk on skepticism. He has a talk on um, the reasonability of God, and he also has a talk on Christian marriage. And you can imagine what it's like talking about something as you know foreign to modern sensibilities as Christian marriage. But there's mm-hmm. you know Tim Keller talking about you know the beauty of of sacrifice and laying down your life for somebody else, um, and it's really a, it's really an amazing thing to see. Um, And and I think too, one thing that's like a really good challenge for Tim Keller um, is is I think he kind of exhibits something of the new evangelization and like preaching the gospel as if we're preaching it to the first time to a group of people that that haven't heard the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, the generation and generations before us grew up in a situation where... um, the gospel and and biblical literacy was, was common patrimony, right? Like, like, you know, the bells of St. Mary's and going my way are like nominated for Academy Award. And I forget which one of those won best picture. Like we really, you you can't quite imagine something like that today, but like Tim Keller recognized the importance of presenting the gospel in such a way that you can captivate people that have never heard the gospel Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. or have, like I was saying earlier, just don't think of traditional Christianity or religion as something that has something relevant to say to them. And I think that, you know,
1: that's something that he, um, I think, did so well. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Relevant Radio producer Nick Senevich. Uh, We're talking about the life and legacy of Tim Keller, uh, the famous evangelical leader who passed away today at the age of Seventy-two, and was so adept at reaching the secular mind and the secular heart, and it's something that we as Catholics can really pick up on. And, and Nick, as you're talking, I'm just going to give out the phone number as well. If you don't want to get in on this conversation, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. I think I think Nick, as you're as you're talking there, it kind of made me think of the the glass half full look at the culture. Yeah, we do sort of live in this post-Christian society, as it were, where People mm-hmm. don't even know the basics of catechesis. And that's true. People sometimes in the church, not forget about people outside of the church, a, a, lot, a, a priest friend of mine was telling me just getting kids ready for their first communion. He said he had this group of kids that were in there and he said, okay, they're in the church and he was going to give them a little lesson. He said, can you kneel down and pray? One of the little girls actually stood on the kneeler. He's like, what are Mm. you doing? Like, she literally did not even know how to kneel down and pray. Forget about making the sign of the cross or anything like that. I mean, so now the flip side of that, I guess, or the the glass half full side of of the sort of loss of of this basic patrimony, as you said, is that we're kind of dealing with, in a sense, a blank slate. And maybe a lot of the preconceived biases against the faith, (laughs) the less you know about it, the less biased you're going to be against, it. I guess. So that, that can be kind of a good thing, maybe in a certain sense.
2: Yeah, I I, I, th- I, think you're, I think you're right to a certain extent. Um, yeah, people don't have the same preconceived notions about Christianity um, that they might have 100 years ago. And I think even Catholics and Protestants don't have the same kind of animosity that they did 70 years mm-hmm. ago, right? Like, you know, you, we could probably talk to our grandparents who never set foot in a Protestant church or probably right. didn't have Protestant friends. But I think that, um, I think now we have more opportunities both for dialogue with our Protestant brothers yep. and sisters, mm-hmm. but I also think at the same time we have an opportunity to show the beauty of Christianity to a people that have no idea what that is. And I think we can show them that there's really something relevant in, in the gospel by the way that we live our life. There's, I remember there, there's a concept um from, uh, I'm going to get the person's name wrong, I think it was Father Julian Caron from Communion and Liberation, the um, um, ecclesial group out of Italy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, he asked, he posed a question to the followers, as a Catholic group, and he was saying, you know, is salvation something that's interesting to me? Is hmm. Salvation something that's interesting to me. And I think that, that's, an inter- that's like a been, it's something that's always stuck in my mind as a paradigm for mm. the way that I like to think about Christianity when I'm talking to somebody else. Like, Am I, am I living my life in a way that I think salvation is something that's interesting to me? Like, I'm interested in being saved. I'm interested in the Lord working in my life. And that's a compelling concept. Um, I think if we really um, ponder it and then yeah. preach that to somebody else as well.
1: I think that's true. And by the way, if you're listening, Community and Liberation—it's—it's it's not liberation theology, in case you're yes. concerned about that. So, that's yeah, true. It's, yeah, and so, it's it, Community and Liberation is a is a pretty orthodox group I, in the church. All right. Hey, Nick, can you hang with me just through this break? Because there was one more question I wanted to ask you about, and um, we got to take a quick break. Can you hang with me for a minute? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. I'll be right back with Nick Santevich as we're talking about. The Life and Legacy of Tim Keller What we can learn from suffering Why death is actually good for our life Today We're going to talk about that after the break 888-914-9149 Explaining
0: the Catholic faith And how you can live it and share it too It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio
1: and you can call in right now with your take, 888 9149 It's a toll-free line to call to talk to me, 888 9149 Or maybe you have a question for my guest. I'm joined today by Nick Senevich, producer at Relevant Radio of the Holy Mass and also the Inner Life and Father Simon Says. And Nick, uh, i got to ask you, we're talking about uh, the passing today of Timothy Keller, a sort of a towering figure within Christianity um, great uh, intellectual Christian who was able to attract so many souls to the gospel. He was not Catholic, but really all the, the gifts that he had, ultimately you know, the, the, the scandalous divisions within Christianity um, I'm I'm praying will be reconciled as Jesus prayed in John 17 one day. But um, there, there's some things that we can learn from, from Tim, and, and many Catholics like yourself were into his works and into his words because they, they can help us to attract people to not only Christ, but the Church, and I know that you're preparing, speaking of the Church, for for big sacrament. And Nick, you're getting married to Olivia next weekend. That's right. Yes, I have
2: <laughs> one week from tomorrow. I will be getting married, which is which is pretty crazy. It's amazing. Um, I can't believe it's come so quickly. But we're both really excited to take this next step together. And we actually. We read um, Tim Keller's book on marriage uh, as part of our marriage prep. In addition to our great wow. priest that was forming us uh, for marriage, we, we read the book *The Meaning of Marriage*, um, mm. which was a really, which was a really great um, book for us uh, to as we, you know, prepared for marriage to get us thinking, get us talking about um, our hopes and dreams for marriage. Um, what are the challenges that that married couples face? Uh, and so we were we were learning from from Tim as as we've entered on this journey. Uh,
1: that's that's a great thing about uh, that's a great thing about books is that you know people can speak you know long after they've stepped into eternity and and that that just share with the listeners what what are some of the top maybe top 2 or 3 things that you got out of that book on on marriage? Did it make you think about the sacrament in any kind of different way? That's a great question. Yeah, one of my one of my
2: favorite quotes that that he talks about is um, you know, He talks about what is part of the Christian vision for marriage. And he says where well, you look at the other person and you see who God's creating. And you say, I see who God is making you and I want to be a part of that. And I want to partner mm-hmm. with you and God in the journey that you're taking to his throne. And when I get there, wow. I'll look at you and all your, magnific- all your magnificence and say, I always knew you could look like this. I got glimpses <laughs> of it on earth and now look at you. And I can just imagine, you know, Tim is just gonna be joyfully waiting for his spouse, Kathy, to come after him and the two of them to to look at each other, you know, in in the in the glory um in front of our Lord. Um so it was just a beautiful mm. um image for me and for Olivia as we are um entering on this journey. Like it's a journey that has a destination, right? It's a journey mm. towards heaven and that's one of the you know key aspects of marriage that you're you're helping the other person get to heaven
1: yeah, that's so true and even even as tim keller lay dying he said you know i just want to go and be with jesus and i'm going to ask all, all mm-hmm. of our listeners to pray for you nick and for olivia as you prepare uh, for that great sacrament, as Saint Paul says, it's going to happen next weekend. Lots of lots of weddings happening at Relevant Radio. It's something in the air this spring. I'm not sure. It's a it wedding, those. and it
2: turns <laughs> out we're all going to Rome. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go figure! Catholic Catholic <laughs> couples that are all going to Rome for their honeymoon.
1: Who would have guessed? That's yeah. It's funny. I, the one and only time I went to Rome was on my honeymoon as well. With would l- love to get back there. I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's that a is place to be. the heart of the church for sure. And you've been there before because you studied. Uh, you're a former seminarian and you studied at the North American College, right?
2: That's correct. And so I got to experience Rome and all of its beauty and all of its joy and all of its craziness because it's a busy, crazy city. But I think one of the really beautiful parts about going to Rome and spending time there is becoming friends with the saints, visiting saints over and over and over again. One of the saints. I would visit all the time on my way to school was St. Catherine of Siena. I'd walk into mm. the Dominican church, Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, and 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 kneel down and say a prayer there. Um, and so I just kind of became friends with her and with um, so many other saints. That's one of the beautiful things about Rome. So I'm really looking forward to going on my honeymoon with Olivia and showing her those saints and being with her there as we enter marriage together sort of like obviously it's a honeymoon but there's a little bit of like a a
1: pilgrimage aspect oh absolutely that
2: we we get to um we get to you know embark on all these holy sites together um as we as we start marriage
1: and that's that's a great thing and and it's almost it's almost too much sometimes that the history of rome and i remember just with Patricia when we were there, and by the way, we stayed at a we stayed at a convent. That's what so uh-huh. honeymoon in a convent. If you can imagine that, but a lot of, <laughs> lot of a lot of convents do rent out rooms and stuff. And as funny as that might sound, uh, I remember just like kind of wandering around, around the city. Just oh, let's pop into this church, and then oh oh my goodness, there's the Ecstasy of Saint Teresa by Bernini. You know, like wow. I mean, it just, it just it's just it's 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 a must trip if you can do it if you can somehow get to Rome at some point in your life. I highly recommend. Hey hey Nick, we've got a question here from. Uh, Mike in Santa Ana, why don't we uh, get Mike on the air here? Hi, Mac. Mike, thanks for calling in.
3: I would like to know what is a good book uh, 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 to read uh, by uh,
4: the uh,
1: by Tim Keller. The, yeah, yeah. Where where should you start? That's that's a great question. Thanks for calling in, Mike. What, what do you say to that, Nick? I'll let you have first shot at that.
2: That's a great question. Um, well, I I think. I have not read The Reason for God, but I would say, if I'm correct, that, that's titled, that's probably Tim's most famous book mm-hmm, and the book mm-hmm. that kind of put him on the map. And, you know, Cale kind of alluded to the fact that it was a little bit like, he's a little bit like C.S. Lewis. And from what I understand, it's there's, there's something a little bit like mere Christianity there. So probably The Reason for God would be a good place to start. Um, his yeah. book on marriage is really quite good. And he talks a lot about the beauty of the sacrifice that's involved in marriage. Really talks a lot about Saint Paul's um, Saint Paul's exhortation that marriage yeah. is really self-gift. Um, mm. And so I think there's a lot to recommend in that book as well. Um, and I, and I, and you mentioned this too, Kale. But just for all the listeners, I think there's a there's an element of discernment in reading a book um, reading theology by somebody that's not Catholic. And so it's it's helpful to have that in mind as you're. As you're reading, you know, as Catholics, we just yes, don't believe everything yeah. that Protestants believe, and I think that's an important yeah um, thing it, to, to to have in
1: mind. And, and and that's a great point. And you sort of have to to read with that with that in mind and say uh, you, most 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 things you can kind of catch if you you know have some formation. And say, okay, that's that's not Catholic the- theology right there. But uh, but there's still a lot that we we can get out of it for sure. And if you're if you're not sure, you think ah oh, you know I'm weak in my faith. Maybe I shouldn't read this. Um, that, that's 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 a fair point. That's a fair point. And uh, you might want to stay grounded in, in in Catholic theology and writing. And um, I wanted to share this too. And uh, I see you there, Brad in Michigan is on the line. I'm gonna get to your call in just a second. But I also wanted to share. share and I, by by the way, uh, Mike, I would say that too. I'd start with the Reason for God. That's that's as as uh, Nick said, his most famous book. Here's a, here's a quote from another book that he wrote called The Prodigal God. And again, the theological perspective, I don't agree with everything that Tim Keller says about the church per se. And, but he did say, here's a striking quote, and I want to share this with you, Nick, and see what you have to say about this. Mm-hmm. This is what Tim Keller said. He said, quote, Jesus's teaching consistently attracted the irreligious. And this is one thing that Tim Keller was really good at, at at Redeemer Presbyterian. The irreligious would come to his his congregation. So he said, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, even our most avant-garde ones. We tend to draw conservative, button down moralistic people. The licentious and the liberated, or the broken and the marginal, avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did, end of quote. What do you think about that? (laughs) That's a that there's a lot to unpack there. I think that
2: one of the things that's important to recognize about humans is that we're just tribal people, and by nature, mm. you know, it's it's. I think one of the effects of the fall that we um, want to stay as part of our own tribe. Um, we, yeah. We there, we we want to protect our tribe, which is beautiful and good, but we also sometimes don't want to get outside of our tribe. Um, and so, sometimes myself included, um, are guilty of. You know, we want a church that looks like me and we want a church mm. that looks like us. <laughs> and and mm. oftentimes the people that we would want to invite to church, um, or maybe the people that we'd want to see in our pews aren't the people that are like us, but the people that are poor need the Lord, the people that are not like us need the Lord. And, you know, I think whenever, whenever, whenever we talk about, um, whenever we talk about who we want to invite to church, you know, I think it's important to to challenge ourselves you know, mm. to think outside of you know who, yeah. who we might normally think about, because that's what that's what the Lord did. The Lord went to some, the Lord went to people that the traditional um, views of of his time would not have. You know, like his dialogue with the you know Samaritan woman at the well. And you think of the, yeah. these encounters, like these are the people, whoever they are in our community, that the Lord wants us to bring in that we wouldn't that we wouldn't always think about.
1: Uh, that's, that's such a great point that you bring up, Nick, this idea of, of being tribal. And it's, it's interesting because when if somebody, if somebody is coming from an atheistic worldview or an agnostic worldview, and they, and they come to believe, and they're open-minded enough to, to, to check out the evidence, if they come to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, in many ways it's kind of like a death for that person because the the way that they saw the world the way that they saw reality has been totally shattered and number one they they need support they need support of the church as they're coming into this to this new community but but it's also true in terms of this whole tribalism thing i remember when when i was um doing a little series on mormonism and jehovah's witnesses on mm-hmm. the faith explained program i told i told a story about my friend al who was a member of the jehovah's witness and when you when you leave the jehovah's witnesses you you're you're dead to them. You're dead to them. And his mother does not talk to him anymore. Uh, his his all of his friends and family members do not speak to him anymore. And 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 he just was like kind of adrift. He had no tribe anymore. And so you people, we need to think more about that when we when we think about conversion and how can we uh, bring people into the church. We have to understand that they need it, <laughs> and it, it we have to reach out to them maybe outside the context of Sunday Mass and and, and create this kind of family. And I know that for Relevant Radio, it's a family for a lot of people out there who are, yes. who are searching for Christ. And and they say that to us all the time when they call in. And you can call in, too, right now, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. 914 Good reminder to give out the phone number. But uh, but they, they always say, like, you guys have been a family to me when I was searching and I was kind of lost.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's such an important point because... Christianity is not meant to be lived alone. Christianity is not meant to be lived in isolation. Um, And conversion also doesn't happen overnight. I remember I had a professor that talked about St. Augustine's conversions. And he said that St. Augustine had three conversions in his life, Mm. right? The first was you know, away from his pagan lifestyle and stealing pears. And, the, <laughs> and, then, and, then the, and then the Lord invited him deeper at key moments in his life. And I'm, if you ask me, I'm not going to be able to name exactly what those moments were. But it always struck me, right, that like we have an initial conversion perhaps that the Lord invites us to, mm. um, which is great turning away from a life of mm-hmm. sin and towards mm-hmm. the life of the Lord, but he calls us deeper at different moments yeah. in our life as well. And I think that's an, important to recognize that there are people in our lives, including ourselves. Uh, myself included, that always are in need of deeper conversion, and that's a that's a process that takes time.
1: You know that that's that's really interesting, Nick. Because you're listening to the Ko Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Nick Sendovich, Relevant Radio producer, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. So interesting that you said that because it, it, it's true. These these big these big ticket item conversions, like Saint Augustine turning from this life of paganism to Christ, that that's one thing, but there always is conversion. There should be conversion every, every day to Christ. And as we go on in our Catholic lives, hopefully we're getting better <laughs> by God's grace. All the, all the credit and all the glory goes to Him. But, but I remember St. Jose Maria Escriva said something about this as well, the founder of Opus Dei. He said that these sort of quote unquote littler conversions or the smaller conversions that happen later on, in some ways, they're even more crucial because they take place at the level of the heart. It's a lot of like letting go of little things in the heart that maybe you kind of held on to kind of in a this is my precious or whatever you know like I'm not giving this to god but <laughs> but no, no, you have to and and that and that's just it may not like externally you might not look any different, but maybe internally you've just like had this huge victory of of converting some part of your heart uh back over to God, so anyways that's uh yeah
2: i I think that's right there's i mean I think most of us you know who are. Catholics and our practicing have a list of things, right? That that we mm. that we are attached to, whether it's physical possessions, whether it's sins, whether it's ideas mm. of, about God or of ourselves or others that need to be purified and redeemed, and that's that's part of the that's part of the conversion process. And I, I could write you a long list, and I'm sure yeah. everyone in my life can mm-hmm. add to my own list. You know? <laughs> <laughs> everyone can get a marker
1: out and keep keep adding, but. Yeah, I think you're some, absolutely right. And sometimes they do us a favor when they give us these fraternal corrections. Hey, you need to fix this. But all right, let's go. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go. And Darren, I see you there in Austin, Texas. Hang on there, Darren. Going to go to Brad in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Hey, Brad.
4: Hey, uh, and Mr. Clark, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. How are you doing tonight, bro? Man, great. Yeah, great. Glad to hear from you. Yeah, I listen to you guys. Uh, uh, almost uh, every Saturday, and a few times during the week, especially on certain oh, thank days. You. Uh, and uh, I was blessed and highly favored to hear about uh, some uh, honest commentary on uh, Tim Keller, who went home to be with the Lord today. And uh, I, in the apartment community I live in. Uh, I mean, there we we used to have a Bible man a teacher that was a Stephen minister associated with a particular Lutheran church in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, not too far away from me. Uh, he used to teach uh, Bible study in pre-COVID times. Uh, before he went home to be with the Lord, and he one of the things we did to break away from our common routine uh, uh, on any given uh, we, Thursday morning that we used to do. Uh,
1: did you get into some he Tim Keller showed, stuff? He
4: showed us a brief uh, video uh, based on Tim Keller's best-selling book, "The Prodigal God," and we saw the video version that was based and it mm-hmm. was anchored right in that book. And uh, we had at least um, two people that would show up, and only one of them, uh, thankfully, okay. mm, by the grace of God, What would you, what, what'd you get
1: out of this? What was what was the point that you got out of it, Brad?
4: Well, it was pretty much uh, there was so many things uh, that um, went along the uh, the territory that I couldn't pick out uh, single-handedly at least one specific area, but uh, Mm. it gave me a new uh, glimpse uh, and a new uh, perspective on uh, what it's like for us, how we're tempted like sheep to go astray each to his or her own way uh, uh, before we can even return
1: (laughs) (laughs) to the Lord. that's a great point, Brad, and I think that's that's what Tim Keller did for a lot of people. He was able to just get people to look at things in a different way, kind of shake you up a little bit, and you think you know about this, but really, look at it from this different angle, and you'll you'll get a different take, and I appreciate that so, so much, Brad. Let's go to Darren in Austin, Texas. Hey, Darren.
3: Hey, good afternoon. Um, yeah, I was just listening to you guys. You were talking about the tribalism that we can experience mm-hmm. and, and wanting things a certain way. I have a different take or a different issue. Sure.
1: Yeah, um, okay, let's hear it.
3: My wife is Protestant. They have altar calls. Their service seems to be based around bringing people in. Right. Where the Catholic Mass seems to be that, well, it is, that celebration for the, the faithful, or the believer, that true worship of God and through the Mass and the Eucharist. But I mm. I really have a hard time when I would invite my wife to come to Mass with me. It wasn't approachable to her it was so there's so much there there's so much beauty in the mass but it's really hard to share with someone and to share with just generalities i was wondering thoughts on how the church is doing in attracting people to her if the mass is the primary thing that people kind of look at our worship and and try to come and come in and see and and they can't digest it all
1: uh, that's an interesting question, Darren. I really appreciate this call. What, Nick? Would you have a take on this? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And um, you know, I, you know,
2: I, not knowing your wife and your situation, it, it's kind of hard to say. But it, it sounds like um, she doesn't feel welcomed and invited by um, going to mass. And so maybe one thing you could do with your wife, if she agrees to go to mass, you know, with you is. A, meet somebody from that church outside of church that she might see. So that way when she goes to mass, she might have some connection, whether that's the priest or another couple or family in the parish. That way when she goes in, it's not just the two of you and she doesn't know anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would maybe maybe go over the readings together beforehand. And if she knows what readings are going to come, she has an expectation, then she might be able to be drawn more Effectively into um, to the to the sermon of the homily that the priest gives, Um, Mm. and then you know maybe you could just have a session where she just asks you questions about the mass. Why do you do that? Why do you do this? Um, You know, I I don't know what your wife's willingness would be, but those those are just some things that come to the top of my head.
1: Uh, That's that's really interesting, and also I would say this um, in terms of in terms of the mass. Now it's interesting because he mentioned the altar call. This happens in a lot of uh, Protestant congregations, uh, not all, but but certainly this idea. Think of a Billy Graham campaign. They used to call them Billy Graham Crusades uh, back when he was alive. They changed it, obviously now, because of the connotation of that word. But the, the altar call, the come-to-Jesus moment, quite literally, where you come forward, people pray for you, and you kind of turn your life over to God. Well, in the Catholic Church, we have the ultimate altar call because we're inviting people forward to receive Jesus Christ himself in the Eucharist. That, that's that's incredible amazing and almost incomprehensible but people need to be educated about that and 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 Nick I'm reminded of uh, as a as a football fan Frank Reich who uh, for many years was uh, the backup QB to Jim Kelly for the Buffalo Bills and now he's the coach of the Carolina Panthers I once heard mm-hmm. him give a talk and this was really interesting he w- he was teaching he said he was teaching a bible study at his home for some uh, a bunch of couples his wife and some other couples and he, he decided to, to give, do a little teachable moment. So secretly, unbeknownst to the husbands, he grabbed all the wives and he would give them private instruction on football, you know, behind the <laughs> scenes. And, and, you know, lots of women love football and they could school a lot of guys on football plays and stuff like that. People like Mina Kimes, for sure. But, but yeah. the, these, these, these ladies didn't really know too much about it. So Frank basically taught them the Buffalo Bills playbook. And and then they were just as they were they started their Bible study session for the year. He, he started talking about football, and it looked like they were just having a conversation. He asked about, hey, let me drop a play here. What would you do in this situation? And some of the wives were like, well, I would run the tight end out here, and I would split the running back out to the left, and I would, you know. And they started like with all this technical jargon. They were like getting the plays right and how to defend them, and how. Mm. And the husbands were like their jaws dropped. Where did my wife learn this? Like. <laughs> And he basically said, okay, the the point of this exercise is that if these ladies who really didn't know anything about football could now learn this stuff and understand it, well, we could do the same with the Scriptures. And I would say the same is true with the, with the Mass as well, because once people understand what the Mass is all about and how it works, what the rules are, quote-unquote, then, ah, okay, now I can kind of get it. And it does take some time, for sure, because it is it's different for sure, much different than a lot of Protestant worship, which tends to be a little bit stripped down, but, but, um, that's an intriguing question, Darren. Really, really appreciate that call. Listen, we got to take a quick, quick break here, uh, on the Kale Clark show, but we'll be right back after this. Triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine.
0: This is the Kale Clark show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show, Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. 9149 My thanks to Nick Senovich, relevant radio producer, who joined me uh, in the first part of the show to talk about the passing today of Tim Keller, uh, kind of a legendary figure uh, in Christian circles, especially in evangelical circles. There's a lot that we Catholics can learn from him as well about how to evangelize. He did it so, so well. And now he's hopefully understanding hey, the fullness of the truth that uh, ah, the catholic church was founded by christ maybe i don't know what his, what his understanding of that was uh while he was alive but um he certainly uh did the best he could with what he had what he did know and we should as well because we've got the full meal deal we've got the fullness of the truth in the catholic church and hey we talk about this all the time on relevant radio on the Cale clark show and it's been another great week on the program before we get back to it Just want to share with you anything that you might have missed. You can always, always download the podcast on RelevantRadio.com and the app. Because it's Friday, producer Jim Shaper has prepared for you a little sneak peek at what we did this week. It's called The Week That Was on The Kale Clark Show. Let's go. One of the more striking things that St. Augustine said in his autobiography, The Confessions, this is a powerful statement for all the moms out there. Wow. He said, my mother shed more tears for my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of their sons Whew, that is a powerful statement saint monica was so strong in her faith she was so worried about her son because she knew he was a mortal sin he had gone off he had joined a cult he was immoral he had fathered a child out of wedlock he was just a seeker of pleasure and she cried more for his spiritual death than many mothers would cry for their, their physical death of their son. so this is the great care of body and soul that our mothers have have given to us, and they're our primary educators in the faith. They're very often the person who first teaches us about God, about the church, about what love is really all about. These are the eight lessons that you can get from the Consolation of Philosophy. What did Boethius learn as he, his life was about to end, but he learned some pretty profound lessons in the home stretch, in the bottom of the ninth, if you will. Number five external things do not make us happy. So Lady Philosophy, is having this imaginary conversation with Lady Philosophy, she basically tells him, look, if you place any of your value on external material things, you're never going to satisfy. So she asks Boethius, look, even when you were rich and powerful, were you ever actually completely happy, completely free of all worries? And Boethius answers, I have to admit, I cannot ever recall feeling free from one worry or another. So we're never completely happy, even if we have all the external stuff that society thinks that we should have or ought to have. Or we need to have to make us happy.
2: The number one pick in the 2023 NBA Woo! Draft goes go! to the San Antonio
1: Spurs. People are so hyped about Victor Wembanyama. He is seven foot five. He's a 19 year old French player. But who's the most interesting man in the world? Well, it's the guy who's gonna get to coach Victor Wimbenyana. I, I got to tell you what, Greg Popovich, he, I, I don't think he drinks Dos Equis and I'll tell you why. He's more of a wine guy. He's a wine connoisseur, I'll tell you about that. But he, he may be the most interesting man, if not in the world, certainly in the NBA. He's got an incredible backstory. Did you know that he, he went to the Air Force Academy and he also pursued a, a, a career potentially as a spy. He was He was in the intelligence field. Five years of active duty with the Air Force after graduating from the academy. He spent time as an intelligence officer in eastern Turkey, and he actually applied for top-secret work in Moscow. And he was thinking about becoming a CIA agent, but he didn't. Instead, he came back and began his coaching career, his basketball coaching career, at the Air Force Academy. And that's where it all started for him. A supernaturalist with somebody who believes that there is something else besides the physical created universe. For example, God. (laughs) God. We also believe that some things cannot be explained by natural means alone. And these unnatural events, I guess you could say, or non-natural events, like miracles, for example, they sometimes do happen. God, who created these laws, who created these physical laws, can contravene them. And, and, And that's what happens when Jesus is walking on the water, for example. If you're a naturalist, and you think this world is all there is, it's kind of just, this is it. Then of course you're not gonna buy into the ascension. But if you are a supernaturalist, if you are a Catholic Christian, then you can accept the claim that, yeah, God did act in his world. He created the natural laws of the world as well, but he can also go beyond them. He can raise Jesus from the dead. Now, dead people normally don't do this, but Jesus came back to life. He was raised from the dead. He's got a resurrected body that he ascended into heaven with. He's glorified at the right hand of the Father. That's not so hard to believe if you believe in the supernatural. Real nice job by producer Jim Shaper on the week that was, and what a week it was, Ascension Thursday. Now, most places it's going to be celebrated on the Sunday. So why not download the podcast? Get yourself set for the great feast at relevantradio.com, the relevant radio app. You can share it with a friend, along with all of our programs. Uh, so glad for you to be able to do that. And yeah, Jesus can do that. He did resurrect from the dead. And here's a quote from Tim Keller who passed away today. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, he said this, quote, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching, but whether he rose from the dead, end of quote. And St. Paul, of course, would concur. He said, hey, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Essentially, we're just wasting our time. He said, people should feel sorry for us. Let's eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Let's party on because there is no future hope. But he did uh, rise from the dead. And for that, we are not only thankful, but we can put our hope in him. Let's go to the phones right now. Dee, Dee is in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome back, DeeDee. Dee.
0: Uh, hi, Cale. Uh My question is for Nick.
1: Okay, well, Nick, uh, unfortunately, had to run. So you're stuck with me, Dee Oh, okay, Dee Dee.
0: but... but- Okay, maybe you can uh no, I, I I don't mind being stuck with you anywhere, Kale.
1: <laughs> anyway, I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> I, I'm I'm flirtatious by nature.
1: <laughs> okay, hey, well I
0: have to confess I have to confess that every other two weeks. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Kale. This this was my question for now. Okay. All right. Uh C C S Lewis was once asked uh why he never Converted to Catholicism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my question to you then is: Was uh, Timothy Keller ever asked that question? And in, in, the, in, the, in the slang term, when the question was asked, uh, was why did why didn't C.S. Lewis ever Pope p o p e d Pope? His answer was yeah. because he grew up in Belfast, mm-hmm. Protestants yeah. versus. Catholics. So, was yep. Timothy Keller ever asked that question? Yeah,
1: you know, that that is a really good question, Didi, and I'll have to do some research into that. Whether or not he ever spoke about that anywhere on the record, did he consider the claims of the Catholic Church? If so, why why didn't you become Catholic? That's a really good question. I'm actually going to try to do some some research into that because I'm not I'm not aware of any time where he spoke about that. But that doesn't mean that he didn't talk about it. And, and you're absolutely right about C.S. Lewis because when people read C.S. Lewis, and they read about some of the stuff that he believed in. He believed in confession to a priest. He believed in so many things that we Catholics believe in. And people say, well, why didn't he just become Catholic? And the truth of the matter, and I, by the way, I ran into, um, I had a, a dinner once with, with a biographer of C.S. Lewis, and I asked him that exact question, "Well, how come he never became Catholic? And, and what he said is exactly what you just said, that he grew up in Belfast, and he just could not get over the anti-Catholic prejudices of his youth, and he just couldn't couldn't get over it. And despite his intellectual gifts, it, the biases were just too strong. And that that's that's a great tragedy. That's a great tragedy. And um, and certainly a lot of people are in that boat, for sure. And yeah, so I'll have to to look into Keller. But we can certainly pray for the repose of his soul, as we should uh, anyone who has passed away. And um, we, I do thank God for how he sort of help people to take Jesus Christ uh, more seriously and his claims and of course step two is the church that Jesus founded the Catholic Church so again like I said so much more about this on all of our shows this week on the relevant radio app you can check them out also the faith explained the biblical roots of the papacy another big stumbling block. It's what we've been talking about these last few days coming up new series on the Holy Spirit so stay tuned for more info on that Jim Schaefer produced. young Thomas took your phone calls Timory's up next, followed by Father Rocky and the family rosary across America. Take it away, Michaela.
0: Thank you for listening to my daddy.